You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to uh, Joshua chapter 24. Uh, Joshua 24, as we uh, begin a, a message entitled Home Court Advantage. Home Court Advantage. We want to take a look at the family today. As we consider continuing our series, last week we were looking at marriage and what it meant and the significance of it, and today we take a look at the family. I've called it home court advantage because just as marriage was part of God's plan, so is the family. Um, home court advantage is a term that's used in sports, obviously, and um, it's an important thing in sports. You see it especially, I see it especially in basketball. Um, and you watch, and um, you, you just see the way that the cheering is done. You see the way that the announcements are made. When, when you're watching a basketball game, when they're announcing the uh, home team, it's like, let me introduce to you, and la, 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 and the big hype, and the scream, and all the cheering, and the lights flashing. And, and, and when the visiting team is introduced, it's like, and there's Jim, the center, for the, and there's nothing. And they do everything they can to set the table for the home team. Uh, when a guy's taking a free throw, everybody behind the screen is they're waving stuff and trying to distract. And when your team is doing that in the home court advantage, they don't do that at all. Uh, the dressing rooms um, in your home stadium are much nicer for you than they are for the visiting team. Um, all kinds of things that create an atmosphere for a home court advantage. Um, the sixth man, as it were. It's not that you get an extra player on the court, but it's like the cheering and the yelling and all the rest of it's designed to give you every advantage possible within the rules. Well, the family is God's idea. The home is God's idea. And in it, we get a home court advantage. So as we continue in our series, Battleground, Fight for Your Family, we want to take a look at, a look at the topic of family today. It's going to be pretty much a topical message as we just go through a whole lot of things, but I want to set the foundation for it out of Joshua chapter 24. So I trust you've got your Bibles open now. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. Joshua 24, starting at verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, 
but we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word, and we thank you for it. We thank you that it sets a frame for us to build a message on today. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Lord, has that been our passion as, as moms and dads in this room? Has that been our passion as grandparents in this room today, that, uh, that our house, we would serve the Lord? Would that be our passion as young adults who stand in this room, who may not be the head of their home, but Lord, is it their heart that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? Is that the passion you've put on our hearts, God? Because the family's not our idea, Lord, we realize from the beginning, just as marriage was a gift from you and a plan from you, Lord, so is the family. And so, Lord, we want to come under what your word says, and we want to be true to it. And so, Lord, would you guide us through your word today, encourage our hearts, spur us on, Lord, to love and good deeds as we seek to live out. Father, the family is your idea, so it gives us a home court advantage. When we serve in the family, we're serving in what you've called us to. So, Lord, give us wisdom to do it well so that we would honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. You know, all of the studies that are done, even studies that are done today, they still come back to the reality that parents have significant influence in the lives of their children. I know that you may think otherwise, but your kids are eight, well, before that, eight, 10 years old, you have lots of influence in their lives. And it's very significant influence, and you're setting a pattern for them as they move forward. But somehow, I think as parents, we buy into an idea that when they get to be 14 or 16, that somehow they're not listening anymore. It could be that their eyes are glazed over when you're talking to them. It could be that they're looking the other direction. But the reality is, and the studies all show it, that parents still have a significant influence in the lives of their children. And so, although it might seem like like you're talking to a brick wall. The reality is there are things that are still getting into their head. There are truths they're still getting and picking up. There are things that they are understanding. So don't ever give up. Don't ever pack it in. Don't ever wonder, is it worth it? Your children are a gift from the Lord. They're a stewardship to you, and your job is to raise them well as best you can for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have a student in your home and they're not walking with the Lord and you're like, what are we going to do? We've done everything we can. Well, you keep praying and you keep being faithful and you, you never give up. You never give up because God is at work. You be faithful and you watch what God does. There's lots of struggles that we face. We're trying to honor God in our family and the pressures around us and some of the mistakes we make and could include things like being overprotective of them or showing favoritism or not really appreciating them and the things that they do and, and they do well or, or maybe it's even when they do something wrong and we put them down or unrealistic goals for them. And maybe it's us not showing affection to them like we could or we should or not providing for them the things that they need. 
Um, sometimes because maybe our priorities are for the things that we want. Um, the Bible doesn't say to give them everything they want. God never promised to give us the things that we want, but he's promised to give us the things that we need. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And so as a parent, we have a responsibility to provide for the needs of our children. Now, what they think they need and what you realize they need will often be two very different things. And that can cause tension in the home. Sometimes um, low expectations or expectations that are out of this world. Sometimes excessive discipline can cause a problem in the home. But often and most often, it's a neglect of discipline that causes problems in the home. The reality is when it comes right down to it, it comes down to things about pride and selfishness and often sin is a pressure place in the home. And so the family is a very complicated and a very difficult thing and it's tough and it's hard. And today we want to take a look at the three areas that I hope will help you as you consider the home court advantage that you have in your home or one day will have in your home or the, the place that you even play in your family right now. So here's the first one. It's all about priorities. It's about priorities. We live in a world that puts pressure on us for priorities that don't honor God. And so often, when we think about our, our lives, people who are outside of Christ, uh, they think about attaining things and getting things, and it's about power and prestige. It's about fame and fortune. It's about what can I acquire and what can I get, and, and the more stuff I can get for my kids, the, the better off they'll be. And so acquisition of things becomes a priority in our lives. Your career are your children doing well in school? And those things become the most important things. Uh, making sure your kids get signed up for soccer or hockey and uh, they get involved in those things. And those things become the priority in your life. And the relationship with your spouse becomes less important because we got to take care of little Billy and little Jane and we got to make sure that they are taken care of and everything is met for them. And, and God gets pushed onto the back burner. We see that all over our society. And that's not the way it ought to be. In your family, God needs to be first. And you sit there and you go, well, you know, well of course. No, no, no. He needs to be first. He needs to be the very first priority. Um, your three-car garage and your pool and your hot tub and your getting your kids signed up for sports and all of those other things are secondary issues. They are on the B plan. They are not the most important things. And a right relationship that you have with God, we're going to come back to that in a few minutes, and a, and a right relationship that your family would have, that's the number one priority. And that's where the world gets it wrong because uh, they think family's good and family's important, but they left God out of the equation. And God is first. And in the family, your marriage, your spouse, we talked about this last week, they are in the second seat. They don't come after the kids, but so often in homes, what happens is the kids take over and, and they become the priority. And your relationship with each other in a marriage is the second piece. And then, and then the children come and then everything else finds its way out after that. But having right priorities 
I do want to make a comment to people in the room who are singles. You don't have a spouse to um, have in that second seat anymore. You don't have that relationship. And our prayers need to be for you. And we need to encourage you and help you and support you and fill that role as best we ever can. But the reality is you have a difficult task because what God put in order through maybe no fault of your own has been taken out. A piece has been taken out. And you feel alone in these things and you're struggling and, and God bless you and be faithful and put God first and keep him first and allow him to work. But you be faithful in the, the thing that God has put you in. My God shall supply all of your need too by his riches in glory um, through Christ Jesus the Lord. The Christian family with God at the helm at the first place and your relationship right. And, you know, we've um, been very blessed, Sue and I, to come out of a Christian heritage. I have the privilege of having four generations in the building right now. Sue's dad is here, and Sue is here, and Beth is here, and her kids are in Harvest Kids. It's like, wow. Some of you don't have that. Some of you, you're the first link in the chain. But if God can do that in our family, God can do that in your family too. And so you be faithful and you put God on the throne of your family and you put him first and you rejoice in what the Lord will do and... It might take three or four generations, but you'd be the first link in the chain. And you allow God to work all of those things out for, for his working. So the first thing is about priorities. The second thing is far more personal. It's far more personal. If we're going to lead our families well, we have to be people who have intimacy. And that intimacy starts first with God. If you're going to lead your family well, it's a family that is based on intimacy with, with God. Well, how does that work its way out in your life? Well, it starts by being people who are about the word. In your family, do you ever sit down around the table? Do you ever have a family devotions together? Do you ever have a, a family worship time together? Um, maybe nobody can sing, so you don't want to do that. Okay, if they don't sing, that's fine. Read God's word and, and, and talk about God's word and, and set that pattern um, be a family about the word of God. Do that together. Intimacy with God in the family. Intimacy with God with your spouse. Intimacy with God on your own. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I do one hour with each of those, I don't have enough time. Okay, yeah, they're not all gonna be equal. But they're a pattern and they're an example and, and they're a model. And we need to be people who are intimate with God in our families for the word we believe in this church about proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. It's not just a thing we do at church. It's a piece for us in our lives. The family is God's idea. And so we take the principles, we take his word and apply it in your family. The word, prayer, spending time in prayer together. I talked to you about how Sue and I, we do that together every night right before we go to sleep. We have that time of prayer. Um, do that in your family as well, around the table. It doesn't have to be 25 minutes praying for the missionaries all over the world. It's just some time together in the word in prayer. Now that assumes you find time to actually get together at the table to eat. And uh, that's a whole different discussion. Spending time in the word, spending time in prayer. 
How about this one? Intimacy about Jesus. Intimacy about Jesus. Do your kids know clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do they understand what Christ did when he came and why he came and the suffering he went through and the price that he paid because of their sin? and their need for a savior, Jesus Christ, and the need to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you're like, Paul, they're only, they're only four years old. They're only six years old. You set the foundation. You prepare the ground so that they can understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one day, one day, will trust Jesus Christ as their savior and put their faith in Christ alone. Hey, here's something. Do your kids know how you got saved? If I was to bring the kids from Harvest Kids down here right now and say, um, tell me how your mom and dad came to know Jesus Christ. Could they do it? Have you ever told them your gospel story? Have you ever told them your good news story? Now, I have a huge advantage being the pastor because my daughter sat in the front row here for at least the last six years and on a regular basis heard it. So um, I get it. Playing field's not even on this one. But do your kids know how you trusted Jesus? If the gospel's so important to us, if the good news of Jesus Christ is such a priority for us, then why wouldn't they know how you came to faith? If they don't, Take some time in the next week and tell them your story and let them hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Let them know the verses that God used to bring you to salvation. Let them know that uh, maybe the verse of trust that, that hit you was for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Or there is none righteous, no, not one. Or John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Or maybe it was Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace have you been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift that comes from God. It's not of works. It's nothing I can do so that no one can boast. As Sue was telling me her verse, John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. See, in our, in our personal walk, in that, that personal peace and all of this, intimacy in the family begins with a, a right relationship with God and making that the right and highest priority. The greatest failure you could ever make as a Christian parent is not introducing your children to Jesus Christ. Intimacy between you and God. Intimacy between you and your spouse. No, not that kind of intimacy, that's for sure. But, but the, the reality of the intimacy of your communication and talking, and that's part of the family. Intimacy that allows you to be talking through the things about your kids uh, so that your kids aren't playing you against each other. And you've actually talked about these things and, and you've agreed on some things. And uh, intimacy with your spouse, intimacy between you and your children. Hey, dad, it's a great idea. Take your kids out on a date. Just take them out on a date. Go just get an ice cream cone or whatever. But just spend time with them. Mom, same thing. Just spend time with them and, and talk with them. And the patterns that you set when, when they are small and young are patterns that will be much easier to keep. And 
when the things are difficult and your teenager is struggling and dad says, you know, let's get in the car and go for a drive. And it's like, oh, no, 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 what's that going to be all about? They've already seen the confidence and the trust that's in that and intimacy with your kids. The priorities of God first and spouse second and children next and then all the other things, uh, that's the priorities. But uh, what about the personal and how are you doing in those things in your family? The, the third area and the major one for today is some principles, some principles to help you. And so turning your Bibles over to Colossians chapter 3 today. Colossians chapter 3 could have taken you to Ephesians 5 and, and done pretty much the same thing. It's a parallel passage that, that Paul gives. And in Colossians 3, 18 to 21, he says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And Paul goes on and spreads the net broader. He says, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Then he says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Some things that come right out of that text that are principles for us. Uh, here's the first one. Submission that's fitting to the Lord. Submission that is fitting to the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Remember we talked about this last week and, and submission is not about being under the thumb. And that verse, men, is for wives. That's the, that's the verse that God needs to impress upon your wife as to what she needs to do and how she needs to respond. It's not your verse to beat her with. You let God work on her life in that area. But don't forget what we talked about last week about in Ephesians chapter five, just back that up one verse where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is not just to be done by the wife. A submission is a two-way straight the Lord Jesus Christ submitted himself and became obedient to death, even a death on a cross. And so, but the principle here and the principle that goes both ways for us is submission that is fitting to the Lord. The, the goal is not to submit to make your husband happy or men to submit or lead to make your wife happy. That, that might be a byproduct that comes out of all of this, but the submission is for the Lord. That's why we do it, because it demonstrates what Christ did. And so the principle in the family all the way around, whether you're a child or whether you're a mom or whether you're a dad, is submission that is fitting to the Lord. The next thing he talks about, he says to the husbands, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You're not the king of your castle. God is the king of your castle. It's not your domain. You don't own a throne. The Lord is the head of the church, and Christ is the head of your family. And so love your wife, and don't be harsh with her. No one should ever be able to walk up to you and say, who do you think you are? Don't be harsh. Don't be harsh with your spouse. Don't be harsh with your children. And that can apply both ways as well. Then he goes on and he says, children, 
Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I found two things in the Bible that we're told that children are told to do. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Anybody know what the other one is? You can respond now. Honor. Obey and honor. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land, and it's repeated in the New Testament. Honor. Honor them. See, I believe there comes a point in, in relationship in the home and in the family where the obedience place piece kind of gets set aside. Not that you disobey your parents or you don't seek to obey them, but when you put a ring on your finger and you say, I do, you're told that you leave and you cleave. Sue and I, both of us in our marriage and with both sets of our families, always sought to hear and listen. But there comes a point where you're making your own family and you have to make your own decisions and everybody may not always agree with those things. And, and so that obedience thing becomes a little more difficult. But the honor one never changes. You always honor your parents. It doesn't matter if you're married or you're not married, but you always seek to honor them. And it doesn't end as long as we are on this earth. And so the principle for us is to Make sure that we are honoring. Children, obey your parents. This is right. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the earth. We're going to come back and revisit that in a few minutes. And then uh, here's another one. Uh, fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And don't poke at them. Don't be always nattering about things and what you think they should be and... Yeah, we encourage them and we spur them on and we help them, but don't do things that discourage your children. It's a principle from Scripture. And so if you find your spouse talking to you, but why do you talk to them like that? Like, don't do that. Like they're so frustrated by the way you're handling that. Then, then listen to it and hear it and, and see whether it's a word from God to you to not discourage your kids, but encourage them. And build them up. Hebrews 10, 24, talking to the church says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Here's the last one, a principle from Colossians chapter three. Whatever you do, verse 23, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. It's hard work. Work heartily for the Lord. Train up your child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's a proverb. It's not a promise. It's a proverb. It's a truth, and it's what we go for. And don't exasperate your children, but work hard with them. Work hard with them. So with that in mind, let me give you 10 things that can maybe help your family, 10 principles that have been good for Sue and I to consider and think about. We never thought about them as a list of 10 but all of these things have been things we've wrestled with and I trust will help you. Um, here's the first one. Love them. Whether it's your spouse or whether it's your kids, love them. First Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. Love them. Say it. Say it. Say it to your spouse 
If you haven't told your spouse today that you love her, then before you get outside of this building, you need to take care of that. Say it. Uh, Write it down. Uh, Write a note to your kids. Uh, Let them know that you love them. Uh, Send them a text message or whatever, and let them know. Uh, Demonstrate it. Demonstrate it through the way you set your priorities. Demonstrate it through giving them a hug. Demonstrate it through all kinds of ways, but make sure that your kids know that you love them. Even when it's difficult, probably most importantly, when it's difficult and hard and and you just keep loving them, you don't ever quit. So much as it depends on you, live at peace with all. That's what Romans 12 says. Well, the principle here falls through in love for us and, and you don't give up on them and you don't quit and no matter how hard it gets, They always need to know that you love them. You may not agree with them. You may be struggling with decisions they're making. But you love them. Love them. Love is the first one. Truth is the second one. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. If, you're, if your whole family is all about love and mushy and hugging and, oh, yeah, everything's fine, you're cheating your children. They need to hear the truth. It is not loving to not tell the truth. Telling the truth is the loving thing to do, but make sure you tell the truth and you do it packed, filled with love. I love this statement. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. If you're just beating your kids with truth all the time and they don't know that you love them, that's just brutal. But if you don't ever tell them the truth, it's hypocrisy. And learning the balance is the thing that I've been working on for 35 years and I might get, I might get a passing grade and I'm growing in it more and more every day but learning to love and learning to speak the truth. And when your kids come and they have questions and you're like, I don't want to confront them. If I confront them, they're going to be upset. They might get mad. They might stomp up to their room. They might tell the truth. Tell the truth. Number three is forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another and If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. There are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. None. There's no enduring relationships in the church because sooner or later, somebody's gonna let you down at some level. No enduring relationships without forgiveness. Your spouse, as perfect as they might think they are, there's no enduring relationships without forgiveness. There's been lots of times when Sue and I have had to offer forgiveness. We've had to give um, forgiveness back and forth. No enduring relationships come without forgiveness. Be quick to say I'm sorry and be quick to accept that and receive it and let it go. You say, but you don't understand. You don't understand what my 17-year-old did to me. You don't understand the pain that was caused. You don't understand the hurt. I I admit I may not, and I may never have experienced what you've experienced. So don't use somebody else in the room and say, well, you've never gone through what I've gone through, because that's that's not the benchmark. 
That's not the criteria. The criteria is found even in this text. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And so regardless of what your son or your daughter or your spouse has done, don't put the benchmark against what you see other people having to deal with. Put the benchmark against what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in forgiving you. You're a wretched person who had no hope, who didn't deserve anything. And every day you get selfish and prideful before the Lord in some way and he keeps on forgiving and he keeps on forgiving and he keeps on forgiving. See, that's the benchmark. That's the standard. Forgive. No enduring relationships unless you're willing to forgive. Number four is worship. Worship. You could tie this into church attendance. It applies to all kinds of things, but a worship together. We talk about in Harvest Bible Chapel that we have small groups because that's where we really do life together. You can come into a room like this and, and you can just disappear into the room. You can come and sit down and be encouraged and walk out the door and, and come back next week. And hey, if you really want to do life at Harvest Bible Chapel, we do it in small groups because that's where it happens. The, the, um, when needs come, when somebody's struggling through something, when somebody loses a parent, or a, all, all that love happens and all that encouragement happens in a small group. And the family is a picture of that. It's where we do life together. It's in our, it's in our small groups. And, and we need to be people who are worshiping in our family. And that's why it's important if you're a husband to worship with your wife. Yeah, worship in this room together, but worship together in your home. It's important for your kids that you worship together. It's, it's a picture of what's happening when we corporately come together, taken down to what's going on now in your life and in your family, and we need to worship each other. See, in Hebrews chapter 10, where it says, um, consider how you can spur one another on to love and good deeds. The next verse is about this. It says, don't neglect the meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So as they were working it through and, and the pressures they were under and the hurt that was being put on them, and it was difficult for them. And some of them were like, I don't know if I'm gonna go to church anymore. It's just, there's too much pressure on me. My family gets all upset. We're, we're, people won't do business with us. And the writer says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's important the Christian life was never designed to be lived alone. It was designed to be lived in community. And that's why the church is critical. But it's also why the family is critical. Worship. Here's the next word, commitment. Commitment. I wrote this down. It just says, do what you say you will do. Do what you say you will do. Psalm 37, 46 says, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the new name. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to him. Uh, demonstrate the priority that your family has. Demonstrate that in the quality of time you put in, into them, but also in the quantity of time that you put into them. They are not third or fourth or fifth priority in your life. God is first. 
and your spouse is next and your family is next and they need to get the time. They need to see your commitment. They need to see you give up some things maybe that you think you would like to do for them. Commitment. Serving. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Parents, serve your children. You're like, that's what I do 24 hours a day. Well, good. Dad, then you get alongside and help mom. Serve your children. What do you mean serve my children? What do you mean serve my children? I'm the father around here. They're supposed to serve me. You need to go back and look at what Jesus did for you too. He made himself nothing, taking upon himself the form of a servant. He humbled himself. And be a model to your kids and be an example to them. Don't let them walk all over you. We're not, that's not servanthood. We need to serve each other. And we need to teach it with our kids. We need to teach it in our families. Honor. Exodus 20, 12 says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord has given you. We need to show honor in our families. Uh, James McDonald wrote a book that was entitled Seven Words to Change Your Family. If you don't own it, you should get it. Go on Amazon, go on something, get that book. It's a great book. Seven Words That Will Change Your Family. It had a huge impact on my wife as uh, she read it a number of years ago. It was written about uh, 10 years ago, and, and she read it. And, and one of the things it talked about was honoring your parents. And you're sitting there today, and you're going, yeah. Yeah, I want that eight-year-old to honor me. Yeah, that 10-year-old, they need to honor me. Yeah, yeah, no. You need to honor your parents. If your parents are still alive, you need to honor them. And one of the things it said in that book to do was write a letter to your parents. And uh, Sue did. She wrote a letter to her dad, and her mom was still alive at the time, and she wrote a letter to her mom and gave it to them. And it explained just how thankful she was for them in the things that they had done to, uh, first of all, introduce her to the Lord Jesus Christ, to care for her and to raise her in a way that honored the Lord and to be faithful. And Sue's dad's in the front row. I know for sure he would never stand up and say he was perfect. But I know this, he loved his family. And Sue wrote those letters and gave them to them, honor your father and your mother. It's right. Honor them. Discipline is the next one. It's not fun, but it's critical. It's necessary. It's effective. You can write down this passage. I'm not going to read it today, but Hebrews 12 verses 5 to 11 talks about in the context of how God disciplines us, but he uses the illustration of where a father disciplines his children, and it's not easy, and we may not even like it at the time. I remember when I was a kid, um, once in a while, I know you'll find this hard to believe, but once in a while, my parents had to discipline me. I wasn't the perfect angel child. And I remember one day I was... I'm going to receive what I deserved. And I remember my mom saying these words. She said, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Okay, I was crying when it was over. And she wasn't. 
I didn't get it. What do you mean this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you? My bum hurts right now. I never understood it until my kids were growing up. And I had to discipline them. It's hard. It's hard. Why don't we just give them a pass? Just let it go. No discipline is comfortable at the time, but it's right and it needs to happen. And we need to be a part of it and we need to discipline our kids. And hey, moms and dads, you better be on the same page about this. That's why God put the priority of himself first and and then you next. When it comes to disciplining your kids, you need to be on the same page about that. You need to spend time talking about it because if they realize, hey, I can do an end run on dad and get what I want from mom or I can do an end run on mom and get what I want from dad, that's not taking your family to a good place. You have to be in unity on those things. All of your kids won't be disciplined the same. Our kids weren't disciplined the same. Uh, The way we disciplined Carl and the way we disciplined Beth were very different. One of them was very easy to discipline. One of them was very sensitive, and and you just kind of looked at them, and they would melt. And the other one was like, what are you talking about? And they remained nameless as to which was which. (laughs) You can ask Beth. She can tell you if she wants. Discipline. Consistency. One of the most difficult things is to be consistent in your family because your kids are so different. But you don't want one to ever believe that you love the other one more. You don't love them the same way, but you love them the same. One more blessing. In Mark chapter 10, um, Jesus calls the little children to come to him. It says in Mark 10, 13, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. And, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. And um, that was a picture of Jesus with the little children. You can study through the Old Testament and, and look at Isaac and Jacob and Abraham and look at Noah and see the blessing that they poured on to their children. And, and we need to do that. We need to do that in our families. We need to do that with our spouses, but we need to do it with our kids. And there are lots of practical ways that happens. Um, a guy named uh, Trent, last name was Trent, wrote a book, um, The Blessing, a number of years ago. And he talked about five ways to pass the blessing on to your children. And the first one he talked about was appropriate touch. Appropriate touch. Um, some kids' words don't really mean much to them. It's like words. Words are cheap. Anybody can say that. And, and maybe they just need a hug or a squeeze or as you're speaking to them, just a rub on the top of their head so they know that you love them and you care for them. And it's one of the ways we pass on the blessing to our children. And I'm so excited about what God is doing to you. Well, don't, don't stand across the room. Put your hand on their shoulder. Do, do the appropriate things for your child to pass on the blessing. Um, appropriate touch, a spoken message. Words are important. And we need to hear it. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm trusting the Lord for those words to hear. Are we giving those kind of words to our kids? Are we blessing them in the words that we give them? Do you attach high value to them? Do your kids understand how important they are in your life? And what a blessing that they are. 
The fourth one is uh, picture a special future for your kids. I'm just believing God for great things in your life. As I watch what God is doing and I see you working in your hands, I, I can't wait to see what God is going to do in your life. A special future. Not the power of positive thinking, but things that honor the Lord. And then the last one is just, you gotta be actively committed to fulfilling the blessing that you seek to pour on. You gotta be in the game. You don't get to sit on the bench and watch your spouse do it. But we need to be actively committed to fulfilling the blessing. Those are 10 things that um, Sue and I have in some way tried to work through in our family and, and I trust that they would be a help to you. Well, so what? So what? We've got a home court advantage we're playing on our field. The family is God's idea. And we do things the way God designed them. He's going with us and he's going to help us. And your personal walk with God is God's design for you. Your marriage and doing it right is God's design for you. And your family is God's design for you. And in your family, we have a home court advantage. Even the world understands that kids are still listening to their parents how much more in the Christian home? When we're doing what God has called us to do, he's never gonna leave us. He's not gonna forsake us. So what in this message do you need to take? What is it you need to go and do? Do you need to go and ask for forgiveness? Do you need to go and tell your kids that you love them? Do you need to honor your father and your mother? Do you need to serve do you need to go back and have a talk with your spouse about consistency and inconsistency in the way that you're raising your kids and, and seek to come together in agreement on what you're going to do? Whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, do it all for the glory of God. In your home, you have a home court advantage because it's God's design it's the place that he has designed to work. Use it for the glory of God and for the fame of his son, Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word. The truths that we've taken, Father, we've sought to take every one of them from a biblical principle, not making stuff up, not here's 18 pretty little ideas you can try. But Lord, in the big things, how are we are faithful and what will we do and... Lord, what will the priorities be? And maybe as we've been here, we're taking a look and Father, you're, you're not on the throne in my home because I thought I was the king of my castle. Today, I confess my sin and I make it right with you, God. Maybe that's the journey of today. Maybe it's I've been more concerned about what the kids think about me than what the kids think about us in our relationship as a couple. I confess your sin and get right. No enduring relationships without forgiveness, but none of this is eternal, Lord. You can redeem all of it. Maybe we haven't been faithful. Maybe we haven't made the priority of worship and not only coming to church a priority, we haven't made it a priority in our home. And then we wonder why our kids are going sideways. Give us faith and passion, vision to step up and, and make some adjustments and talk with our family and just be honest and tell the truth. Lord, raising kids in 2014 is a difficult task. 
The world is doing everything to tear down and destroy. But you are greater. And by faith, we will trust you for even greater things as we live our lives for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name.